This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. A science story, huh? These NYU scientists, they felt And I just thought, well, I had figured it out. It was that golden moment. Because science was on my side. Hey everyone, welcome to the Story Collider, where true personal stories about science help us to discover how weird and wonderful it is to exist in this world and be a human. I'm your host, Misha Gajewski, and today's episode is all about love. Or as my dad says, love. It was Valentine's Day a couple of days ago, and I hope you didn't forget, but we couldn't help but share two adorable and heart-melting love stories with y'all this week. Our first story is from Bruce Hungate. His story was recorded at a show in collaboration with Writing Class Radio and Northern Arizona University. Bruce is the director of the Center for Ecosystem Science and Society at Northern Arizona University, and his story gives hope to everyone who's ever been worried that they're never going to find their person. It's giving all the warm and fuzzy feels, and you're going to love it. Here's Bruce. The summer after my junior year in college, I worked in a microbiology lab. I was studying tiny bacteria that live on rocks in the Negev Desert. They oxidize manganese, and over thousands of years, they turn the rocks black, a desert varnish. I loved how tiny details of science could tell a story about nature. But I wasn't sure microbiology was the career for me. I was deep into musicology. In the lab, I listened to Ludwig van Beethoven's Sixth Symphony, the Pastorale, a symphony that tells a story about nature with music. I was obsessed with the second movement called Seen by a River, or Schein am Bach in the original German, that it opens with the strings in this lilting, descending line that sounds like flowing water. That little turn at the end, like an eddy in a river. I loved how music could tell a story about nature, too. We studied that piece in music theory class, which is also where I met Carissa. Carissa played the violin. She wore cut-off jeans and torn t-shirts. I wore cut-off jeans and torn t-shirts, too. I proposed we play chamber music together, and she said yes. A few hours after theory class one day, we met to rehearse. We'd been assigned to analyze Seen by a River by Beethoven, and I asked her if she'd looked at the assignment. She looked at me, that assignment isn't due for a month. I looked back at her, ignoring her, pulling out the score from my backpack because I was really excited to tell, show her what I'd discovered. I'd been analyzing the harmony since you know, class, the three hours ago. And, and I showed her this one passage that I thought was great, and I said, 
Don't you love how the deceptive cadence extends the line? She looks at me. No, no, no. We're set up to resolve to the, tom to the tonic. It's the dominance. It's this big, long tension, right? But we don't resolve to the tonic. We go to the dominant of the submediate, and it keeps going. <laughs> she said, we're not in theory class, Bruce. Stop it. But I kept going because it's like we're in the river and when we think the river's going to end and we're getting there and we think it's going to end, but it's not the end, it's a bend and there's more glorious river music ahead. She looked at me again and said, can we go play music now? If I couldn't connect to Carissa with music theory, how could I connect with the world? I thought about my job in the microbiology lab and in biology class how I'd learned that microbes affect the climate. Everyone's interested in climate, right? Yeah. I still loved music theory, I still do, but I needed a subject that could connect with other people. So I thought I should give the microbes another chance. Two years later, I'm a PhD student at UC Berkeley in the Department of Biology. And so is my new love interest, Jane. <laughs> Jane wears torn t-shirts too. She is hot. The summer after that first year, I am knee deep in Jane's riffle. Jane's Riffle is a short stretch of the Eel River where Jane does all her PhD research, all about the algae. Jane adores the algae. And she's working on how, what, what, what controls how much algae you get in a river. Is it the nutrients in the water? Is it the chemistry of the water, the pH of the water, the temperature of the water? But her favorite idea is that it's a food chain. It's the fish that eat the insects, that eat the algae. And if you have enough fish that eat the insects and, 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 and mow them down, then you'll have lots of algae. We waded through the water looking from plot to plot, and I got to a plot with no fish. Looked in, and the, the insects had mowed down the algae. It was just a tiny thin. They'd mowed it down like grad students on pizza. <laughs> we got to a plot with the fish, and there were algae everywhere. This is called a trophic cascade. I love talking with Jane about trophic cascades and about the algae. And what's so great is that she loved talking with me about soil carbon and the microbes that live there, the topic of my PhD research. I was looking at what happens with more CO2 in the air, what happens to soil carbon. And the big idea at the time was, with more CO2 in the air, that's like more plant food. The plants are going to grow more, and they're going to put more carbon in the soil, which would slow climate change. But my research showed that the extra carbon that got in the soil, the microbes there ate it up and sent it back to the atmosphere as CO2. We needed to know that. We need to know that to make good predictions about what's going to happen with climate change and to know what can we do in soil to, to make it take up more carbon and store it to slow climate change down. And I discovered in my PhD that moments of discovery like that were just as thrilling as finding meaning and deceptive cadence in Beethoven. But my qualifying exam was coming up, quals. 
This is a rite of passage in the PhD, where you're in a dark basement room, no windows, and three intimidating overlords, I mean professors, ask you question after question after question until you whimper, I don't know. I had to prepare. Jane had aced her quals, and she knew a lot about ecology, so she asked me practice questions. Could predators in soil promote soil carbon like fish promote algal growth? Could trophic cascades matter in soil? My mind was blown. And since then, for 30 years, we've been talking about science and theory and experiments and Jane's work in the water and my work in soil together making mud. <laughs> and we're testing that trophic idea in soil now. If we add predators to soil, will we get more soil carbon, slowing climate change? These experiments are happening right now. We're harvesting one next week. I'm so grateful to be collaborating with scientists here and around the country who care so deeply about soil carbon and the microbes that live there. We will keep refining the science to get it right. And I will keep refining the story. If you haven't noticed, this is a love story. <laughs> because I found someone who cares about the tiny details and the stories they tell just as much as I do. That was Bruce. To learn more about him, or if you want to hear the other stories from that show, head to the Writing Class Radio podcast or visit our website, storyclatter.org. Being a storyteller on our stage is just one way to make Story Clatter happen, but if standing alone in the spotlight in front of an audience doesn't speak to you, maybe becoming a Story Clatter donor might be more your speed. Story Clutter donors play a vital role in our ability to bring you this podcast. We're in this together. Story Clutter is one big experiment that's designed to connect us around our love of discovery, curiosity, and the natural world. If you believe in the power these stories have and this mission, please donate to the Story Clutter at storyclutter.org donate. The most popular level is $10 a month, and you can make your tax-deductible donation at storyclutter.org donate. But really, any level makes a difference, and we're so grateful to everyone who supports Story Collider. I'm Andrea Askwitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we're the Writing Class Radio team. If you love Story Collider, and I think you do because you're listening, you will love, love Writing Class Radio. We air true personal stories and teach you how to write your own stories. So they don't have to be just science stories. They can be any story, but it has to be true, personal, and down to the nitty gritty. We also have writing classes. So if you are interested in finding a community and writing every single week to a prompt and getting a little bit of feedback, check out all of our writing classes on our website. You can find us wherever you find your podcast and at writingclassradio.com. My life has been incredibly busy lately, but eating better is easy with Factor's delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian-approved, and ready to go in just two minutes. If you're like me and on the go, it's great. 
And don't worry, you'll never be bored with Factor Meals. You'll have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons with things like pancakes, smoothies, and more to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. And my favorite part, Factor Meals are ready to heat and eat, so there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup needed, which, as someone who is currently living without a fully functional kitchen, is ideal. So what are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash storycollider50 and use code storycollider50 to get 50% off. That's code storycollider50 at factormeals.com slash storycollider50 to get 50% off. Our next story is from science journalist and senior Story Collider producer Ari Daniel. His story was recorded outdoors at the MIT Amphitheater in Boston in 2022. I can't wait for you to hear Ari's story. It's all about remembering what's important in a relationship, which sometimes is hard, especially when you're in a fight with your partner. But Ari's story perfectly captures the complex nature of a relationship. Here's Ari. It's mid-November. And I push open the door to the single room Airbnb, and my five-year-old daughter, Layla, and I enter. And there's a queen bed and a microwave and sink and a small bathroom. And Layla instantly starts setting up her makeshift bed on the floor, a raft of bows and bracelets and pillows. She is just so excited. And I am psychologically nauseous. We're not here on vacation. We've been evicted by COVID. Layla and I have tested negative, but my wife, Renoir, and three-year-old son, Raja, are on the other side of town in our condo, battling the virus on their own, now with a couple hundred more square feet to roam around. Now, a week prior, Renoir had gotten back from a trip home to Lebanon, where she's from, and she'd gone there to help take care of her mom, who'd been in the hospital with pneumonia. Not COVID, but the writing's on the wall. Her parents are getting older and frailer, and they're in increasing need of care. And all three of their daughters live here in the U.S., so the two of them are, in effect, alone, an ocean away. And Hunwa has talked to me for years about wanting to move to Lebanon, and I have resisted and delayed, and I haven't been this direct with Hunwa, but I think about the port explosion a couple of years ago and the financial freefall that the country's in and the political instability, and I think it's the worst decision for our family. And truth be told, I'm scared. The day that Hunwa got the call that her mom had been hospitalized, she had her tickets booked by evening, and she went home for two weeks, and it was the first time she'd ever chosen to be away from the kids. Now, this is November. This was back before the Omicron wave when everyone got hit. This was the era of Delta when I felt like I had to explain to people why two members of my family had COVID. Renoir got it in Lebanon, probably from her dad, who didn't wear a mask to the barber, and she tested before she got on the plane, but was negative. But she got on the plane, traveled across the Atlantic, virus multiplying all the way. And when she got that positive result in our kitchen, she crumpled. That devil that we'd been running from for a year and a half 
had finally found us, found its way into our home. And we didn't isolate Renoir soon enough, and the virus snagged Raja soon thereafter, and it knocked his little body flat. And I was so angry at that imp of RNA. Renoir and Raja locked themselves in our master bedroom and closed the door, and Layla and I were on the other side bringing them food, and we were FaceTiming them from the kitchen for one day, two days. And now in this Airbnb, everything is white and gray, and there's nothing memorable about it except for a framed replica of a Roy Lichtenstein painting. And it's a woman's face, her eyes closed, tears streaming from them, awash in a churning ocean with a speech bubble. And she says, I'd rather drown than call him for help. And it's like my situation summed up in eight words. You see, I didn't want to leave our home. Renoir had suggested that Layla and I go stay with my parents who live an hour away. And, uh, and my parents were concerned that what if Layla and I had COVID, and I didn't blame them for being uneasy. Renoir was angry at COVID, at being trapped in that little room, at her dad for giving it to her, at her parents for not being willing to visit us in the U.S. every once in a while, at me for not being willing to uproot our family and move us to Lebanon. So I suggested, all right, what if Layla and I go across town, find an Airbnb, and we'll just give you guys a little bit of room? And she said, fine. And I said, are you sure? And she said, fine. And the morning that I left, she was silent behind that door. Now, in normal times, I would look at her and read her face in an instant and know what to say to make everything okay. But the virus clouded the air. We weren't seeing straight. And I left. Now that night, there's just a microwave, and uh, but I brought along our camping stove from the basement, so I cooked Layla and me two sunny-side-up eggs for dinner. And afterwards, my parents, they FaceTimed with Layla, and, uh, or they, they Zoomed with her and read her a book. And my mom wrote me later and said, I hope that the sound of our voices is comforting to you, R, more than they could know. And I shut the lights off, and Layla falls asleep in her raft. But I am wide awake, in bed, and I can't stop thinking. I start researching schools in Lebanon for the kids. I mean, I, had, I knew that when I dropped Hunwa off at the airport a few weeks prior, that that trip home for her was going to be significant, that it was going to decide something profound for our family, determine our center of mass between our world here, my parents, our community, nearly our entire dating and married life, and her parents there who'd issued this silent cry for help. But instead of paddling into the ocean together, facing that decision, she and I are in separate dinghies, battling a gathering storm apart. And I text her, and I know she's awake, but she doesn't write me back. My phone doesn't light up, the room stays dark, and I think my wife is sinking and not calling me for help. Layla breathes softly on the floor beside me. The next day, it feels like 10, I take Layla for a long walk in the woods, and I call my parents, and they tell me that I just need to give Hanwa some space, and I do. And we're kind of meandering. I take Layla to an outdoor festival, and 
there's a guy uh, making an ice sculpture in the shape of a snowflake and a table where they're giving out vast arrays of glow stick products. But mostly I'm in a fog. I go back to the Airbnb. I cook Layla tomato soup in the microwave for dinner. And I feel like a washed up dad with his kid on the run. I am despondent. I miss Layla and I miss Raja and Hanwa so much. So after Layla goes to bed, I text Hanwa and nothing. And then she writes me back. Why didn't you stay here? I can't believe you left us. And in a flash, I understand. I write her and I tell her I never meant to abandon you. We don't solve it, but we're communicating. The seas have calmed and I spot the shore. The next morning I FaceTime Hanwa and she picks up. And I tell her that Layla and I want to come home. And she and Raja confer and they agree. And then Layla tests positive, so this whole isolation business has been a charade. And later that day we push open the door to our home and we dock at the harbor. And the four of us are back under the same roof where we belong. And Hanwa and I look at each other for the first time in days. She doesn't say anything, but it's all there in her eyes. I know something in that moment that is true. The worst thing is not moving to Lebanon. It's being apart. And so later that week, it's Thanksgiving, and the four of us sit down around our little kitchen table, and I look at their three faces, and I know they are everything I need. Thank you. was Ari. If you'd like to learn more about him or listen to his other stories on our podcast, visit our website, storyclutter.org. Our website is just one way to connect with Story Clutter, but there are so many other ways, and we hope you'll use all of them. You can always follow us on social media. We're on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. Head to storyclutter.org to become a financial supporter. Or if you want to come to one of our shows or want to start your own Story Clutter show in your community, you can learn all about that on our website too. This podcast is produced by me, Misha Gajewski, along with Nikisha Roberts-Washington, Jen Chen, and Aaron Barker, executive director and co-founder of The Story Collider. The stories featured in today's episode were produced by Jitesh Jaggi, Ari Daniel, and Catherine Wu. Special thanks goes out to Story Collider's board and staff, including Anne-Marie Lonsdale, Leslie Brunson, and Lindsay Cooper. Our theme music is by Ghost, and next week, I'll be back with an extra special episode from CZI's Rare as One Project grantees. They're incredible stories, and you don't want to miss them. Until next time, thanks so much for listening. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. 
every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.